And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Michael Card. He's an author and a songwriter. Michael, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks, thanks, Dan. You know, uh, you're very familiar to us here at the studio because we air a lot of your music. Uh-huh. And to um, some listeners, perhaps they've heard you, but they didn't realize that this is Michael Card. So um, maybe you could share with a listener a little bit of your background and perhaps how the Lord uh, led you to himself. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I've always, I've always kind of liked it when people know the work, but they don't know me. <laughs> that, frankly, takes some pressure off. It always has. Um, but I, I came to faith in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I was born, uh, in the context of a small uh, Baptist church. Um, in our church, we were very focused on evangelism. And um, when I was eight years old, I'd, I'd heard the gospel all my life. Both my grandfathers were ministers, so I, Jesus was always a part of our world. And uh, I, knew, I knew who he was, and I would say, to a certain extent, I knew him. He certainly knew me mm-hmm. from the very beginning. But um, there came that point when I was eight, and I realized not, not just that he had died on the cross, but that he'd done it for me, and, and it became personal. Uh, so I sort of went from knowing him as, a, as sort of this historical person that we, we prayed to or whatever, and, and, and really met him, encountered him. And in our church, um, they would always say, uh, you know, they would say, Mike, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? That was the language. And I was, even at eight, I said, you know, he's asking me into his, his heart. <laughs> and uh, so even then I was a pain, <laughs> pain in everybody's side and picky about just how people said things. But, but that was a big distinction for me. Uh, I, I really sort of intuited that from the beginning it was, it was him who reached out. And uh, it, what, a, what a, you know, measly thing it was to walk down the aisle, but that's, that's how we did it in our church, to, to signify, you know, I'm going to follow him. And, uh, and that was 50 years ago. He, wow. He's never let me down. I've let him down almost daily, but he's never let me down. Mm. That leads me to the next question, Michael, and that is, um, I've appreciated the fact that in your music, it's very consistent with what we read in the Bible, mm-hmm. or as we could say, consistent with the historic Christian faith. I love that. More recently, we were acquiring some of your music. Uh, I think it was called, like, Mark, the Beginning of the Gospel, or mm-hmm. John, the Misunderstood Messiah. And these pieces are very consistent. They just flow from the scriptures. Could you share with us your feelings about um, the philosophy of writing music with respect to the Word of God? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, if for me, if it's a philosophy, it's, it's just, it's just a response. Um, I've, I always felt like, uh, the scriptures, they demand a response. You, how can you read, you know, a gospel and just say, hmm, you know, charming. <laughs> what an interesting person. How can you not, you know, sort of see, see the way people were giving up their lives, or basically the way Jesus gives up his life? And then not do something. So, I, and I think my one of my big responses was always verbal. I'd talk about it, or you know, as after I was in college, I, one of my professors really got me uh, writing music. He he was the first person to ever ask me to write a song. And so for me, it, it, it you know, the word is just something I've always responded to. I mean, there you know, there's a there's a time in your life, you know, young man, you fall in love, and there's a beautiful woman, and you respond, you know, and a lot of guys write songs or poems or 
you know, buy chocolates or whatever the response is. Mostly we respond, you know, in uh, in inadequate ways. But uh, the same sort of thing. I, I just I, when I was fourteen, I just got this hunger for uh, for the Bible. Uh, the Jesus movement had just started in Nashville, and uh, uh, and a lot of people think the Jesus movement was all about music, but initially it was Bible study. We were just studying the Bible like crazy. And so for me, songwriting is a response. What is an appropriate response to, you know, a verse like, in the beginning was the word? I mean, when you hear that, what, I mean, how do you respond? So that, that's, that's what I've been doing all these years, is mm. just trying to listen and, and respond. And I, and I guess to a certain extent, you know, reach out to people and say, hey, come engage with, with this uh, book with me. Mm. So you, you think about what you read, and it sinks in, and mm-hmm. the music flows from there, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, and, you know, let's remember, too, what the uniqueness is of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit's involved, and which has always been fascinating to me, that there's this part of God that indwells me that wants me to understand this book. Mm. I mean, how, how bizarre is that? <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, so it's not, uh, and certainly it is that God's given me a brain, and he's, you know, given me a context and a family and friends and that sort of thing, and that all comes into play. But, you know, let's not forget that there's also this part of God himself that we call the Holy Spirit that, that, uh, that wakes you up in the middle of the night right. and says, you know, well, what about this? What about this in your life? Why, you know, why aren't you, <laughs> yeah. why aren't you responding to that? Or where are you? Or what's the matter with you? Or, or just, you know, I love you and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad uh, you belong to me. I mean, whatever it is. Mm. And, that, and that all comes into play in, the, in engaging with the Bible. Somebody said, the Bible's the only book that reads you. <laughs> and I think that's a brilliant way of, of saying that there is this Holy Spirit that, that's a part of, the process of understanding the Bible. Mm. And I think theologians have, have too often left that out. They think it's all about me figuring things out, and I think it's very, very little about us figuring things out. <laughs> you have certainly um, made some friends in your life, uh, men of God, that have uh, influenced you and, yeah. and helped you along. And I was reading a little bit about you and and one that stood out that I was familiar with was J.I. Packer uh-huh. and um, some other names I wasn't familiar with. But how important is it to have close friends who can influence you in the right direction? Well, I, I wouldn't say I was ever really close to Packer. I, I taught at, uh, at you know the university where he is, uh, Regent, one summer mm-hmm. and met him a couple of times. And he was always very gracious and uh, interviewed him a couple of times on a radio show. Uh, and you know, knowing God was huge, uh, like like it was for a lot of people. I, I think one of the things that the Scripture does is it it sort of draws it draws in this community. I mean, you know, the the life of Jesus draws in this community of people. And so, one of the odd things is that I'm I have these these men that I'm that I walk with. I have a brother who's ten years older than me who who I love. I've never. Since he's so much older, we we never really knew each other that well. But mm-hmm. um, I have these men in my life who are really closer than members of my own family. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, of of all those people, for me, the main one was William Lane, uh, the mm-hmm. guy who wrote the New International Commentary to Mark and the Hebrews, uh, the biblical word biblical commentary to Hebrews. Mm-hmm. He was the man who uh, really uh, he was the first person to ask me to write a song. He was the person who I studied with for six 
years. I got a master's with him. He oversaw everything I did. And then for 27 years after that, we walked very closely together. Uh, he kept on discipling me. And I was holding his hand when he died. I was there with him. Really? At the very end, yeah. He, he got cancer in, in uh, 98 and was in Seattle, Washington, and calls me and said, uh, I don't want to die here. He'd given him six months to live. He had multiple myeloma. Um, he said, uh, can I come to Franklin and show you how a Christian man dies? Wow. So he moved to Franklin, and uh, we started a little little Bible study house where he lived, and uh, we moved his, his library in there. And he ended up living 18 months, 18 really good months. Mm. And, uh, and I was. I was holding his hand. Uh, his wife was very gracious. Right, right before, before he died, I spent the last couple of days with him and stayed up with him at night and that sort of thing. And, uh, and right as he was dying, his wife put his hand in my hand. And uh, mm. I was, got to carry him out, out of the house. And uh, he, he's really the person for me. But there. There are lots of there are other people that the Lord's put in my life. Scott Rowley is my best friend. He's a man, real man of the world. Word, <laughs> world. Excuse me. <laughs> um, he's a man of the word, and he's the guy that sort of got me into racial reconciliation, and and so many others that have passed away. That's when you get to, get to be my age. I'm 58. Mm-hmm. So many. Bill's gone. Denny Denson, who who discipled me, who's my pastor, he's gone. Doctor Ben Johnson who was the first black teacher at Moody Bible College, who was very important to me, has passed away. Uh, as my grandfather would say, I live in this ever-narrowing circle of friends. <laughs> but so many of them are, well, really all of them, are guys who love the Word. And, and the basis of our friendship was, you know, we, we belong to Jesus. Mm, amen. Yeah. You, you've touched upon a subject here. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that we. I really wanted to ask you about, and that was... Uh, You've you've worked. Your, part of your life's work has been pursuing racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's of special interest to us um, right now. I feel that some of our government leaders tend to divide yeah. people based on race or economic status in the world, yeah. rather than pulling together. And we have a Lord Jesus who unifies and brings us together. He doesn't divide us. And so when I see this sort of division that's intentional, I realize that's not gospel. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I mean, I mean, Paul is pretty clear about the fact that uh, those, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, that whole, even male or female, which is probably the right. greatest division amongst people that there is, that all of that, it's not that it goes away. I mean, I, I don't stop appreciating my African-American, the difference of my African-American brothers. I learned that. I made the mistake of saying one time to Denny Denson, my pastor, who had been a Black Panther in Chicago and still could be pretty mean when he wanted to be, <laughs> uh, you know, I said, hey, you know, Denny, when I see you, I don't see color. And he said, well, I'm very offended by that. See, that's part of who I am. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's like to say, you know, to a woman who was in ministry with you, you know, when I say, I don't consider you to be a woman, well, that would be a fairly insulting thing to say. That's right. But uh, the wonderful thing is God has created all these different varieties of, you know, every nationality and, and, uh, and color of skin and that sort of thing. And, uh, but that all becomes subservient. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, I think Mark is really interested in the lordship of Jesus. And for Mark, uh, it's absolute. Uh, I, the way I say it is, in the Gospels, Lord means Lord. So when Jesus walks up to you and says, follow me, 
That's not an invitation. That's a command. And that explains why everybody drops their nets and they walk away. Mm. It's not, hey, let's you know, talk to your wife, get back to me, think about it. And so under that absolute lordship, which in Mark can actually be very, kind of scary. There are people that are scared of Jesus in Mark. Hmm. Uh, but um, underneath that absolute lordship, uh, all of those divisions, uh, I don't want to say they don't matter, but that's the closest thing I can say. It's yeah. as if they don't matter. And so uh, I spent, uh, I had lunch yesterday with uh, Russell Moore. I don't know if you know Russell. He's the great ethics spokesman for right. the Southern Baptist Convention. He's always on CNN. and sure. He's this wonderful, wonderful guy, but brilliant, very articulate. And, and right as we were leaving lunch, there was Henry, who's a, a become a friend of mine over the years in Franklin, who's an African-American guy who loves the Lord and who, who couldn't be, in terms of the world he's from, couldn't be more different. And yet here are these, you know, here the three of us are standing on the sidewalk, and it's like none of that mattered. That's right. You know, Russell's importance and his notoriety didn't matter. You know, Reggie's, you know, lack of notoriety didn't matter. And uh, it was just this beautiful little little glimpse. That was a that was a great moment yesterday. Mm. What should we think about as we are faced with the challenge of bringing people together? Are any any guidelines in in how we are to approach this? Uh, I don't even know how to ask the question, but well, uh, just let me tell you how it happened uh, for us. Uh, a group of us twenty years ago started praying for revival in uh, Franklin, in our Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. Very, um, you know, wonderful southern town. It, it's always in the top ten amongst the, you know, lists of cities in the south where everybody wants to move to. Unfortunately, it's always in those lists and people <laughs> keep moving here. Uh, but um, so for about 15 years, we, we prayed. About 15, 20 pastors and some other, you know, uh, people got together, and we would pray every Wednesday for uh, for revival. And what we would thought would happen would be, you know, we'd have a big Billy Graham event and, Everybody gets saved, and of course that would have been that'd be wonderful too. But when the Lord finally answered our prayer, the answer came in terms of reconciliation, mm. racial reconciliation. Yes. And what we learned was that the gospel is reconciliation. God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Amen. And that reconcil, you know, we Paul says then we become ministers of that reconciliation and agents of that. And we we had a a very powerful experience of that. Uh, here, here in Franklin, and and it's still going on, you know, in in uh, in certain ways. But uh, just after Charleston, after the shooting there, we have a group that meets still meets on Wednesdays to uh, to study, uh, do Bible study. Kind of a, it's not really homeless people, but it's it's uh, you know it's just people from the from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the day after that had happened, or the next Wednesday after that had happened. Uh, we we were so close. It was uh, it was almost mystical the day we had. Everybody was, of course, hurting for everyone else. But um, it was a great sort of uh, confirmation that that the Lord had been doing the work in our mm-hmm. in our uh, and people are free to be themselves and and show what hurts them and what confuses them about about how how other people treat them sometimes. So yeah. Christ is in all that. I think he, he's glorified in all that. And you see it in the Gospels, right, with Samaritans and all, all that kind of stuff, and with mm-hmm. Romans who had a lot of animosity towards people like Jesus. Today I'm talking with Michael Card, the songwriter and author, 
And uh, Michael, you mentioned the Gospel of Mark, and you, you've written an, a whole album uh, mm-hmm. based on that. Is there a, one particular song that that you've written that stands out to you from that collection about Mark that you're that's especially uh, endearing to you? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've, that was a couple of records ago. Yeah. I don't have all those in my head the way I should. I'm kind of shuffling through the records on my desk here to see if I've got the list of songs. Um, uh, there is a song there about um, Mary's anointing Jesus. Um, Mark Mark doesn't give her name. Mark almost certainly knew her name, but Mark doesn't give her name. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the title of the song, uh, but it's basically... Now at last the time had come, this moment had been waiting with her alabaster jar, the woman came to give. That that song, I think, is probably my favorite song. From in, that in memory of her love? In memory of her love, that's it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> now that's sad, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's fine. What about, just shift gears slightly, um, years ago I played at the guitar. I never played the guitar, you know, I, uh-huh. I played at it, I eventually gave it up. But normally you play a guitar, you got your right hand sure. strumming or picking and your left hand on the uh, fretboard. Um, right. You play it in kind of reverse. Can you describe to our listeners how you play guitar? Yeah, well, it's basically upside down. The, ne- the neck is pointing the other way. And, uh, I mean, lots of people have played that way. I love to remind everybody that Jimi Hendrix actually played left-handed. Wow. And Paul McCartney plays left-handed. There, there are a number of left-handed players out there. There's a wonderful African-American jazz guitarist named Jonathan Butler who po- plays left-handed. So um, it's not completely, you know, weird. But uh, not a lot of people. Not a lot of people do. But you, the significance here is you flip the guitar over. You don't use a left-handed guitar. No, because I, I grew up in Nashville. I learned on other people's guitars. <laughs> so uh, in, in my little neighborhood, uh, there were a number of very well-known um, uh, musicians, country and bluegrass musicians. Uh, for me, the, the, the most well-known one was Earl Scruggs, the banjo player. His, uh, his sons, uh, Randy and Stevie, and I were friends. Randy actually produced my first couple of records. In fact, Earl played on the first record. Mr. Scruggs played on a song called I Have Decided. If you mm. hear that old song, that's Earl Scruggs playing the banjo. Wow. But I would go to their house, and they had, I mean, literally priceless guitars, pre-Civil War Martin triple lot D-45, sitting on the couch. <laughs> so I could go over there and sit down on the couch and play that guitar. So you think I'm going to get some funky left-handed <laughs> you know, uh, guitar? No. Uh, so I'm, I'm very glad I learned on right-handed instruments because <laughs> I've access to much better guitars. They don't make great le- left-handed instruments. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about, um, here's a question, maybe off off track a little bit. Suppose someone today is listening and uh, they're just facing discouragement, yeah. um, perhaps loneliness. Um, any advice for that person? Yeah, um, I do. I've, I've thought a lot about this. Um, I, I've written two books on lament and uh, and an album of, of laments. And the big thing I've learned, and that was all, again, in trying to respond to the Word and uh, and to respond to things that were going on in my family, my sister lost two children, and my brother lost a child. My mother lost a child before I was born. Uh, and, you know, all those kinds of things. My mother and my best friend died on the same day. So these things were all sort of swirling around. And so I, I go to Scripture and just saying, help, help me and understand what what do I do Amen. with this. And um, first of all, I realized in the Psalms, uh, numerically, most of the Psalms are laments. 
numerically, most of the Psalms cry out to God or complain to God or even shake their fist at God in anger. And what happens, I think the, the real climax of this is in Psalm 51, where David has basically ruined his life. I mean, nobody had more to lament of than David did in Psalm 51 after Bathsheba. Mm. Uh, he'd forfeited everything. Uh, he'd murdered. And a little, a, a little boy was born as a result of their affair. And I'm convinced and that little boy died when he was eight days old. Uh, I'm convinced that David wrote 51 when that little boy was dying. We, mm. we know in the Bible he, he was uh, ro- rolling on the floor and couldn't eat and couldn't sleep and was so broken over what he'd done because he knew it was his fault. Mm. And uh, so the moment came, and here's finally the, vi- the advice, the moment came when David realizes that all he's got left, his broken spirit and his contrite heart, that's all he's got. He's forfeited everything else. He realizes that's all God ever wanted in the first place. Hmm. Sacrifices of God, you know, it's not the blood of bulls and goats you want. He wants the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contract heart. So what happens at that lowest point in his life is that David realizes, okay, I can offer this up as an act of worship, and it. I think it changed everything for him and for. He was also kind of the worship leader of Israel. It changed everything for Israel, and so if 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 you know, you're listening to this discussion, and you're, you know, the whole range of disasters, you know, joblessness, you know, cancer, um, broken relationships, I mean, all, I mean, what you know, you, you name it, those things that, that uh, the fallen world, you know, does to us that can crush us. I think what the Bible says is you take, you take those feelings, even anger with God, which is remarkable. Mm. You offer those up as an uh, up as an act of worship. Uh, if you think of it, I mean, what at the point in his life when he's most being used by God, what's Jesus doing? He's lamenting, mm. and I think that's a really elegant idea. That, that in, at the point in my life uh, when I'm saying, "Why have you forsaken me?" That that could be the moment that God uses me the most. I think that's a, an amazing idea and, and a very encouraging idea. I think to those that are suffering. Unfortunately, in the church in America, we don't make room for people. We've all sort of bought into this prosperity thing to some extent, and uh, we think that people that are suffering really don't have anything to say, and uh, that's that's completely mm. completely unbiblical idea. Very helpful. Yeah. Um, today I've been talking with Michael Card, the songwriter and Christian writer. And, uh, Michael, you've written a lot of books. How many is it up to now? Twenty-seven, I think. Oh my, twenty-seven. Yeah, books. I write rare books that nobody <laughs> buys. <laughs> That's so funny. And uh, if someone would like to visit your website, yeah, it's all there. It's michaelcar dot com. Well, that's simple enough. Yeah, and basically anything that you can get, we have. I mean, if you're really if you're really desperate, you could check Amazon for some of the books that are out of print. Okay, but because they're not all in print anymore. But uh-huh. uh, basically, there's. You know, there's something, there's something for each. There's a book on each of the Gospels. There's the book on Lament, which is my favorite book. It's called A Sacred Sorrow. And, but then there's another book on Lament called The Hidden Face of God. The publisher says, you know, as if one book on Lament wasn't bad enough, <laughs> two, <laughs> you know, <laughs> two is a disaster. But there's a couple of kids' books, and uh, oh me, there's a book on the life of Peter. I was very interested in Peter for a long time. Yes. Still am. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking
taking the time from your busy schedule and joining our listeners today, Michael. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. And dear listener, you can find this broadcast up on our website as a podcast to listen to again. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Now at last the time had come This moment had been waiting With her alabaster jar The woman came to give It was all she had to give Pouring out the sweet perfume Down across his forehead But some of them began to fume What this waste was for It should be spent upon the poor Her love.